0: Welcome to NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA.
1: We're outside the Flight Mission Support Center at NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. And we're right in the middle of installation of Sage 3 or stratospheric aerosol and gas experiment.
0: Over the next hour during the installation of Sage 3, we will talk to subject matter experts from inside the FMSC, in addition to those who we sat down in our studio here at the NASA Langley Research Center prior to the launch of Sage 3 on the Falcon 9 last month
1: hopefully within the next hour we'll have completion of Sage 3 because we have a great team of robo-scientists or robo-engineers at NASA Johnson Space Center who are using a robotic arm on station to install Sage 3.
0: Yes, now hopefully we will be able to witness a a, a mission of first. That is the first time that a continuous space earth earth observing observation instrument will be placed on the exterior of the ISS. So if that happens and is completed within the next hour, we'll have it here live on NASA EDGE.
1: I had a chance to sit down with Brooke Thornton, who is the Mission Operations Manager for Sage 3. Let's see what she had to say. Okay, we're at L plus 17. This this is a big day for you and the Sage 3 team. Yes. Installation day. Tell us what's going to happen.
2: So it's actually going to take about 12 hours for them to maneuver us off of uh, the platform where we're currently getting power, and then install us on the Express Logistics Carrier, the ELC4. So, um, you know, the robotics, you know, that's very slow kind of going. And so it'll be a long day, but at the end, we will be installed and we'll already be getting heater power once we are installed.
1: Now you're going to be sort of managing the Sage 3 team in the the flight uh, mission uh, support center.
2: Yes. So, you know, during that activation, we're kind of just monitoring, you know, we just want to be there. So in case the robotic um, operators have any questions or if anything goes wrong, you know, making sure that we're in a, you know, safe location if something does go wrong or if something's going quicker we can um, check and make sure we're ready for it. Now, is this going to be controlled by the astronauts on station using the robotic arm? No, so the robotic operators are actually at Johnson Space Center, Okay. so they'll be, you know, robotically installing that from there. So there's, there won't be any astronauts helping us install this payload.
1: What are some of the challenges of, of just using a robotic arm and, and, and trying to install such a you know an expensive piece of equipment?
2: So, yeah, the amount of analysis that the robotics team had to do, there's a lot of kind of keep out zones, you know, that our payload has sensitive equipment on it, other parts of the space station have sensitive. So the choreograph that they have to do is very well defined
1: okay let's let's kind of jump forward now so we have the sage 3 attached to the station it's installed what's the next uh, step
2: so the next step is um it's going to be about five days for us to fully power on the whole entire payload Um, we've got five subsystems so each day we'll power up one subsystem monitor it make sure everything's within limits you know and you know the activations for each of these subsystems are pretty involved also. So we'll be going about 16 hours a day for five days with you know several shifts to get um, each subsystem powered on. In the evening, we'll just monitor it, make sure everything's good.
1: You're going to get to a point where you're going to turn it over to the scientists now, and yeah. you're going to be collecting the data. Yeah. I mean, tell us what's, it's kind of hard to, I guess, to, to figure out what your emotions are going to be. At, at a certain point, you're going to say, my job is done.
2: Yeah, so um, my my job won't be um, done. You know, I'll continue on with the payload and, you know, continue operating the payload itself. I think the part that's going to be hard is when the engineering team goes away. You know, we've been working with this engineering team I've been, you know, for the past, you know, about five years. And so to work with all these people for so many years and, you know, we went from a group of about 130 at one point down to about 12. It's going to be, you know, kind of sad to see them leave, but it's going to be a totally different chapter because before it was just, you know, engineering, designing, building, testing, and now we've got to take this great instrument and try and get the best science for the scientists. So, you know, we'll still be doing engineering, you know, trying you know, optimize this instrument that we've got. It'll just be kind of a different group that we're working with.
1: And we're joined by, uh, now by Mary DeJoseph, who's the director for FPD or the Flight Projects Director here at NASA Langley. How are you doing, Mary?
3: I'm great, Chris. I'm so excited to be here tonight for the installation of the instrument platform.
1: I tell you what, 16 days ago, we had to launch a Stage 3 on a Falcon 9, which was part of the CRS 10 mission. And now we're, we're at the point where we're installing Stage 3. How is it exciting for the team?
3: It's absolutely thrilling. It has been years in the making. Sage started back in 2010 as an ISS payload that was planned for launch on initially um, CRS-6 and we had some problems with the European supplied hexapod and then we had some challenges with the Langley-built IAM and the team put their heart and soul into the development of the payload of the electronics and building and delivering the whole set down to Kennedy at the end of 2015. And then we had to wait for a year, and so it was hurry up and wait. But the team did such a fabulous job. So we're so excited to finally see the fruition of those long years of work and planning tonight as the IP gets installed.
1: Let's kind of take a look at a sort of a top level uh, from a flight projects perspective. As your role as director, what is your job as a Flight Projects Director?
3: My job is to make my team successful, make sure that they have all of the support that they need from across the center and across the agency to finish the job that they have started. So we get them whatever we need. We work with engineering, we work with science, we work with the other NASA centers, and we support them in every way possible to do the planning, to do the engineering, to do the integration, to do the really hard work that they do to deliver the hardware to space.
1: But the cool thing about your directorate is that SAGE 3 is just one of many in your portfolio.
3: That's right. We have three Earth Science projects coming behind SAGE. We have the Tempo instrument, which is planned for completion in um, late 2017 or early 2018. We have the Radiation Budget instrument, which is a successor to um, the series series of Earth radiation budget monitoring instruments. Uh, We have series FM-6 that's integrated onto the uh, JPSS-1 spacecraft. That's the NOAA Polar Orbiting Weather Satellite.
1: We're gonna be covering that later this year.
3: That will be launching in September. Um, and then finally, we have a new project that has started up within the last year called Clario Pathfinder that okay. is also going to be launching on ISS in early 2021. So that's a very full plate of Earth science. And in addition, we support exploration and space technology.
0: So Andrew, what is the hexapod pointing system?
4: Well, the hexapod is a Stewart platform that uses six actuators to maneuver and point the instrument towards the Earth, so that's in the proper position to take science data.
0: And why was the hexapod so important to this mission? As a space station orbits the Earth,
4: its orientation changes slightly, and we need to be pointed in a specific orientation to be able to take science data. So what the hexapod does is it accounts for the movement of the space station and keeps the instrument pointed
0: correctly. Can you tell me a little bit about your job as the Hexapod liaison?
4: The Hexapod was part of a a barter program with the International Space Station, and it was being provided to us by the European Space Agency. And so what my job was was to basically make sure that our requirements were understood and that we were getting something that would actually be able to be mated to our payload. and and function the way we were intending it to.
0: So since the hexapod that's going to fly on station was actually built in the late 1990s, early 2000s, what upgrades were done to it to get it ready for flight?
4: Well, one of the things we had to change were the heaters because the heaters were set for 28 volts, which is no longer available during transport. So we had to upgrade those. And then while we had the box open, there were also some other electrical upgrades that we had
0: done. All of these upgrades weren't done in Italy. Some subsystems or components of this were done in other countries in Europe.
4: All the actual um, physical work was done in Italy, either at um, Tassi in Torino or in CGS in Milan.
1: Now, with all those travels that you have to Italy, you've got to have good customs stories.
4: Yes, because yeah.
0: we've, we've been yeah,
1: hosts quite a
4: few times. Happy, happy. Yeah, one time, we were, we were going over there to do some testing. I had to hand carry several cards that were, that were sensitive. So I had a, a special Pelican case and, and I had some forms that we had gotten through Homeland Security that would allow me to pass through without uh, x-ray. X-ray, x-ray
0: screening. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: but it involved an extensive search.
0: Of the case or your person?
4: Of everything. I still haven't recovered from it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Is that
0: rough? Was that here in the US or when you? That
4: was here in the US. Wow.
0: Yeah. Was that coming back or going? Uh, Going. Going.
4: Yeah. Coming back, I made somebody else carry it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you
0: wouldn't mind,
4: tell me. Can you hold this for me for a second?
5: (laughs) Joining us now is Amy Rowell, who's the Deputy Mission Operations Manager for Sage3. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
6: You're very welcome. Glad to be here.
5: I'm I'm very excited about the installation today, but a a lot of things have happened since the launch. And I was wondering, as Mission Operations uh, Manager, tell me a little bit about what Sage3 has gone through up to this point.
6: Well, as you know, and NASA EDGE was there, we launched on February 19th at 9 38 (laughs) a.m
5: after the second on the second try yes
6: after lots of clouds (laughs) and rain and we were very worried that we weren't going to go that day Um, but then we had a few days before the dragon was going to actually birth and get Mm -hmm. captured it took two attempts to actually get captured. So we were here at the Flight Mission Support Center monitoring that.
5: Now, did they do two attempts just because they felt like since they did two launch attempts, they, they ought to be like, uh, you know, have some continuity? Or or what? what's behind a missed uh, attempt to dock?
6: Well, it was the first time that ever happened for a Dragon, actually. So okay. it was a bit of a shocker. So we were here listening in on the voice loops and all of a sudden we heard abort, abort, abort. And Dragon mm-hmm. actually responded the way it was supposed to. Uh, it had a piece of telemetry that said where the ISS was and it was comparing to its GPS telemetry and it didn't match up. And so it did what it was supposed to do. It had a fault detection system that said, hey, this doesn't match we're aborting this attempt, try again tomorrow in 24 hours, and second attempt was great, it well, was and,
5: and it's funny because, I mean, like a launch, as difficult it is when they scrub, usually there's a reason or a precaution, and so as much as you, you feel bad about it, it's kind of the right thing to do, right?
6: Absolutely, I and mean, that's how we felt on the first launch attempt, yeah, too, right. because they had a piece of telemetry, they didn't know exactly what it was telling them, and we would much rather wait another day and mm. know that everything's safe. Then have something go wrong. <laughs> right,
5: exactly. After all this work, of course. Now, so the second attempt that went smoothly, everything worked out well
6: for the dragon capture. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it was perfect.
5: Awesome. So now, as as mission operations uh, manager, like, what are you doing during this process? I mean, are you actually uh, directing things, or are you just you know, huddling in fear like I would be that, you know, things not, you know, they go well?
6: It depends on the day, actually. So we've had multiple dragon trunk surveys before both of the payloads, the Nader Viewing Platform and the Sage Instrument payload. Before they were removed from the trunk, uh, we actually had some surveys that we had interaction with the voice loops of talking to people at Johnson. No, is that the
5: robo team?
6: Uh, mostly the ro- Robo team, yes, because a lot of this has been entirely robotic operations. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the times that we had a trunk survey it was with the SpaceX folk. Okay. second time uh, we actually were on the voice loops with the Robo team, as you said, and telling them, hey, could you show us this part of the payload and asking them to move the cameras in certain places so we see what's going on because we hadn't seen, you know we had hadn't seen it since the separation of the first and second stage.
5: Uh, that's got to be a I mean, it's I'm sure there are real job related reasons to do that. but also, you're, telling the cameras to look at your spacecraft instruments, everything right there in space. That's got to be a great feeling. It
6: feels very self-serving, yeah. yeah.
5: (laughs) (laughs) But you were checking to make sure everything was okay. Absolutely. So um, after that inspection and everything, so what happens next? I mean, I know that there's this elaborate process with the robo team. Tell us a little bit about what that is all about.
6: So what they're doing today, uh, for instance, so they've already done with the meter viewing platform that's already installed on ELC4, which is our final location.
5: I love the acronyms. I mean, they're
6: amazing. There are so many acronyms (laughs) that sometimes you don't remember what they originally stood for. (laughs) But uh, today they're doing the same thing with the instrument payload, the IP. And we have been sitting on a temporary location that has been powering our heaters yeah. and they're going to remove us. Actually, they might be doing that at this moment because awesome. they had already grasped onto the payload and they were going to remove us with the robotic arm. Mm-hmm. And then they'll actually take us over to where the MVP is and install us onto there.
5: Well, one thing I'm wondering now, like as the mission operations folk, you, Brooke and, and Ryan, what are you guys going to do? What is your job once this is completed? I mean, do you just go to the next thing? Or are you working with Sage for a long time? What's sort of the next part of your job?
6: Uh, Depends on the person. Um, But during the next three months, which is commissioning, 90 days of commissioning, um, Ryan and I will be on the voice loops, integrating with all of the the different teams. Mm letting our controller and our operator really focus in on the procedures. And we'll be overseeing that. And then Brooks at the even higher level, making sure that our day-to-day operations are planned out for the next day, having the meetings that we have to have with science folk or the other uh, specialty groups for each piece of the payload. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'll be interfacing with them. And so we kind of each have our own defined roles, and we're going to have multiple shifts. So we have a lot of <laughs> shift work. So I'll be here at 5.30 in the morning. Nice. Ryan will come in at 2 p.m.,
5: the good news is when you come in at five, you at least get good parking.
6: You get great parking because it's really hard to park at this building.
5: Garfield, I know that Sage 3 always sort of had planned uh, to be on the ISS, but I guess from the original intention to now, there's some new challenges that you faced to actually mount it on the ISS. Tell me a little bit about that.
7: Yes, yeah, so the original plan was to mount Sage 3 on a NATO review in. Um, Interface on the space station. This was planned back in the 1990s to fly in 2000 or thereabouts. By the time our project was formulated, that interface on the space station did not exist. The payload required a native viewing mounting site, and the external payload mounting sites on the space station now are horizontal. They face either port or starboard.
5: I mean, how does that work when you decide you want to mount something on the ISS and nothing's available? How do you get a, you know, a new platform? Well, so that's
7: where I came in. So when I came on the project, they had looked at a few ideas of orienting the instrument on the payload itself to face nadir. But none of those um, ideas seemed to work. And so we had to come up with a different idea. And that led to the concept of the nadir viewing platform. Where we built this piece of hardware that replicates the station external payload
5: interface ninety degrees from its current orientation. So you actually have two challenges for Stage Three: you have to put on a new platform or a platform adapter, and then mount your uh, instruments. Is that is that it? That's correct. Um, so
7: the Native Viewing Platform will be installed first to the space station using the robotic arm, and then the Stage Three instrument itself is then attached to the native viewing platform.
5: You're adding a new platform and that's allowing Sage 3 to do its work. Does this provide opportunity for future missions that might want to also attach to the ISS and have a modified or slightly different orientation? That's a very good question. Uh, So,
7: essentially, the platform, this 90-degree bracket that we created, replicates all the interfaces of that external payload site. So even after SAGE-3 is gone, that nadir viewing platform can be used by other payloads that need a nadir-facing mount to the space station.
5: It's got to feel pretty good to have developed uh, this uh, sort of universal uh, piece of equipment for for, uh, NASA. Absolutely. It was a great time doing
7: it. I had a lot of wonderful people that I worked with to get this done and, you know, to show how good this was. It's been copied by other projects already because as it turns out, native viewing sites on the space station are prime real estate and
5: we don't have enough of them. Joining us now is Mike Sizeski, who's the 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 guru, if you will, of all things Sage 3. Thanks for joining us again on the show. I wanted to, to have you out here now because it looks like we're really, really close. Can you tell us what's going on uh, with Sage 3 right now?
8: Yeah, absolutely. So right now you can you can see the video feed here and you can see that we're probably about six inches away from our, our home on the Nader viewing platform on the space station. Um, So the robotics team is continuing to do just a super job. And if you hear beeps in the background, I'm getting play-by-play from our friends in Houston. Yeah, John Crone. Exactly. (laughs) So we've got a team down there that's supporting the robo team. And what they're going to do right now is make some final adjustments so they can go ahead and get everything orthogonal. Then they're going to bring the IP into the MVP. And then there's a mechanism on the express pallet adapter Mm -hmm. and what they do is they turn that and that will go ahead and engage an electrical connector in the mechanism that basically will secure the IP to the NVP and and then we will be in a full configuration on the ISS. Shortly thereafter we'll go ahead and reapply power and establish thermal control and and. I don't know if you guys can see, but I'm smiling. <laughs> That's it's just going to say,
5: and then it's all it, business. <laughs> it is. It is a
8: completely fantastic day for the team. Tell you
5: what's really fascinating. Yes, all the hard work and everything else, but but actually being around the folks that have been working on it for so long and just sensing their energy and their enthusiasm. I mean, they're not doing cartwheels in there. They're intensely focused on the, these last few moves, that you will, to, to finally secure the spacecraft so they can start getting the data that they've longed for for years, the reason and, they came and, to work it. And
8: that's really what it's all about. And, and I can't say enough about how good this team is. And so developing spaceflight hardware is really, really hard. And so we had some challenges, but the team was always up to it, sure. and they did what had to be done to make sure that we did it right. And to see us this close, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this close uh, yeah. from from our from our home on the Nader viewing platform on the ISS is extremely exciting, and um, we'll be there before midnight tonight, I sure, think. Sure. Um, I, I wish we were there a little bit sooner, but you know we've waited a, a number of years, and I think we'll, well wait a few more.
5: But you, you know, that that brings minutes. up a good point because these kind of operations, though they they seem like sometimes painstakingly slow, but you you really want to do these right. You don't try a bunch of things in these kinds of situations. You want to do it right the first time. So.
8: A- absolutely, and so the the trick to being successful with with space flight and and, and developing these kind of complicated payloads is not making any mistakes and being very methodical in the the procedures that the robotics team has in Houston with our support and the support we're getting behind us from the folks in the Flight Mission Support Center. uh, It's like, wow, Okay, so, you know, (laughs) we're, we're almost there. We'll be there very soon. And as long as we do it correctly, we're in great shape. Well, it's good folks
5: and and they've got a great attitude and and even though i know you'd prefer not to be here till midnight uh it's funny because they're all um you know they they seem like they're not concerned you know they're going to be here till it's done if it's two if it's four if it's midnight whatever it's gonna be a big party when no
8: and that's not a big deal for this team because when we when we qualified the payload for flight We were in a vacuum chamber for 40 days and and 40 nights, 24-7, and so the team did whatever it took to make sure that the payload, at least the model of it and the payload, were flight worthy. And so we've had a great ride up to space station on SpaceX. The robotics team is, is ready to roll. And we're ready to go ahead and turn things on and get some great science. Well,
5: I, I, we can't wait. And i tell you, John Crone has become like a Twitter master. He's like giving you updates left and right. You got to thank him for us. But i tell you what, we're all proud of the work you and your team have done over the past years, even up through today. Mike, thanks so much. Hey,
8: thank you so much. And, and again, I can't say enough good things about this wonderful team that are going to extend This data record that's important to everybody on the planet.
5: You're watching NASA Edge, an inside and outside look at all things NASA.
8: Awesome.